Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Sawbones, a Merrill tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. It's uh, getting spooky out there. That's right, Sid. Justin. It's a very spooky time of year. It's a very spooky time of year, and uh, we've reflected that in uh, all manner of ways. Uh, but I think this is the first, with our, with our, sorry, investigations of, I believe the episode was called Ah, Real Monsters. That yes. uh, Riley uh-huh. took my place on, mm-hmm. uh, and a few others. But this is the first time that I've seen you, Sydney McElroy, get a little bit spooked. That's right, Justin. I definitely did. When I was doing research for this week's episode, I realized, and this will become apparent once we get into it, that this uh, this is the beginning of many a horror film. I am the science-based skeptical researcher looking into a supernatural topic with great skepticism, and I am concerned as to what's going to happen to me over the course of the next week until uh, November, and then Halloween's over, and I won't worry about these things. <laughs> uh, but we're going to talk about possession and exorcism. And I want to thank uh, Grace and Megan and Sarah and Haley and First and Lisa and Courtney and Kathy and Maggie for suggesting this topic. Uh, so, Justin, you, you've probably heard of the concept of possession, you probably know what I'm what I'm talking about when I say possession. Yes, I do. Uh, it was uh, a spirit, or perhaps a ghost, or maybe even a demon. Yes, going into the body of another person uh-huh. and like taking the wheel. That's that's pretty much it. And this concept spans cultures and geography and time. I mean, this you find this idea that these uh, malevolent forces, spirits, demons, whatever your cultural or religious concept of them is, uh, the idea that they can take us over, inhabit us, control us, uh, this is not unique to one religion at all. Even though I think a lot of us, when we think about the word exorcism, immediately reflect on the exorcist, and, you know, the kind of the Roman Re- Catholic Repossessed, view. starring Leslie Nielsen. Is that what Linda you Blair. think of? I Is think that... of the hit film uh, Repossessed, starring Leslie Nielsen and Linda Blair. I always, and maybe this is what informs my... Um, uh, trepidation as I the more research I did sorry on this trepidation topic, <laughs> yes uh, is that I ha- having been raised in that uh, religion you're taught I mean that you know this stuff might happen and so it's hard to take a science 
eye at it sometimes. A science eye. A scientist eye. Bill Nye, the science eye. I know whatever I say is going to be playing (laughs) on some magical recording as the demon hunts me in the middle of the night later this week. I know that's going to happen. Sydney's very worried about the opening narrative that she has established for herself by being a disbelieving (laughs) skeptic doctor with a background in Catholicism disbelieving in the power right. of demons like she has set herself up for an act one <laughs> so Who do you want to play you in the movie after you're killed by demons i mean oh because i won't be around i was gonna say well me no <laughs> uh riley would be a good choice she uh, looks like they're me. coming for her next the demons oh. are definitely coming for her next they're not gonna stop with you no she'll listen and learn and run mm-hmm. she'll save the day so the, did you know that this is a, opposed to demonic obsession i didn't know this word demonic obsession which is when a demon is like, I mean, obsessed with you. Yeah. Evan so Rachel like, Wood, by the way, is what I would go with. Right. I had to think about it for a wow. second. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, then that's just when like a demon messes with you all the time. But that's from the outside. Possession is like they took over. And there are many people, certainly, who believe in the existence of these forces and demons that can take you over. And then there are many of us who don't necessarily believe in that. Uh, and for those who don't believe in the concept of possession, it's natural to try to look for a scientific explanation. So as we look back through history and we see people who are demonstrating symptoms of what was called possession, mm-hmm. what could that actually be? And some of those, I, and again, I'm saying symptoms as opposed to, I don't know, I guess if an exorcist were talking, they would say manifestations of the possession presence yeah Yeah. uh could be things like cursing or yelling blasphemous things um you might injure yourself you know create like scratches or or bite yourself um and then like in the movies you'll see like words appearing in skin you know which we usually would blame on the person like scratching a word into themselves or something Mm -hmm. um you develop this aversion to things that have holy or cultural significance so crucifixes or holy water or you know obviously this would vary depending on the religious background throwing up did you do throwing up very hard? Right. Puking a lot and head spinning. Head spinning no, that's around. not, that's actually not like the classic symptom of possession. Oh, so the exorcist isn't a classic. You heard it here, folks. I, no, I don't mean the movie. I just mean. Film buff City McElroy has spoken. No, that movie scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. I didn't get it. I didn't get why I was scared. I didn't, I saw it too late. I saw it in like my mid 20s. And I just was like looking around, like, what is scary about this? Yeah, you say that, but see, the exorcism of Emily Rose, which we're going to talk about a little bit, which I saw as an adult, still scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, some of the stuff that I think makes even medical professionals sometimes follow, uh, be misled and go down the wrong diagnostic path, I would say, are things that people can't explain as well. Stuff that's moving around or the bed shaking, pictures flying off the walls, stuff that people have said happened during these episodes of possession or exorcism. Um, people knowing languages they shouldn't know, you know, speaking in Latin when they've mm-hmm. never learned Latin or facts about people that they shouldn't know otherwise. Like being able to, someone walks in the room and being able to, what I would call do a cold read on them. Uh-huh. It's mm-hmm. it's worth noting that these things are, there's not like supernatural claims that we're, we're not lending credence to supernatural claims here. It's just not no. necessarily in line. I, I'm sure there are rational explanations for these things. Well, doing a cold read on somebody is, some, I mean, that's something that a, false clairvoyant will do in in order to 
trick you into thinking they're clairvoyant. It's like the bit in so. Pee Wee's Big Adventure when she looks at his wallet and the mm-hmm. picture of the Al- you know a picture of his bike in there and exactly there's a picture of the Alamo and the build build board across the street that kind of thing. It's the same thing as like. If you're going to do that stuff in like a, in a live studio audience going around and checking license plates on cars and gathering mm-hmm. info based on that kind of thing, you know, it's that sure. same idea. Um, uh, sexual behaviors, that's a common thing, especially in the presence of like a religious person or an artifact, something that would seem very inappropriate, you know, because that's associated with like demons, right? They're going to do the most outrageous thing. Um, historically, we've seen causes that aren't necessarily any kind of medical or or any kind of cause other than some sort of like political or social motivation so you can look at certain cases where like a whole group of people were supposedly possessed mm-hmm. um sometimes these were groups of nuns who were demonstrating these these you know signs of possession and saying awful blasphemous things and acting out in sexual ways and all these things that nuns aren't supposed to do and it may have been as a reaction to the like the religious influences of the time and a way for the church to drive more people into the church and or as reactions against overreach of the church. There were all kinds of like political reasons that some of these big things have happened. Um, but what's more interesting to me is like the individual cases of possession that probably had medical reasons that were totally missed and misdiagnosed as possession because people didn't understand it. Okay. An obvious one is the plague. So during the plague years, a lot of people chalked up the symptoms and manifestations of the plague to demons. There's a lot of magical thinking during the plague years. Like For sure. A lot of these are tied into that because it's just I think people couldn't conceive of the the horribleness. And, and it certainly I think you're exactly right. It certainly seemed that way. Like everyone was sick and not just sick, but sick in a really awful a way that a, a death that would be horrible for the person who was sick, but then also for their family to experience and then everybody around them would get sick. And I mean, you know, you could see where you would begin to believe in the right cultural milieu and with no understanding of science that, oh, my gosh, this has got to be evil. This has got to be demons. Sure. Um, in response to that, a lot of people actually started trying to perform exorcisms. Just, just like just li- regular. Yeah. Low, low, low cost <laughs> budget. We come to your door exorcisms, just like d- Etsy exorcisms. That's what I was to say, like DIY exorcisms, right. <laughs> or like you, you could just do it, like put one on your Pinterest board so that you could do it at home. Yeah, just like use fi- I, is that what Pinterest does? Use Fiverr <laughs> to pay somebody five bucks to come exercise your home. But it, that's exactly so. People start doing their own home exorcisms, and the Catholic Church said, "Well, listen, um, don't. we we don't know." <laughs> That's we don't know ba- exactly what's going maker. on either. That's our profit center. Uh, yeah. But we don't want just anybody doing an exorcism because you're, you know, and this is not, this is one based on like their domination, but two based on the idea that these are forces they don't understand. Sure. And you don't want people messing around with them. You so, just make the demon angrier. Exactly. Uh, so Pope Paul V published the Rite of Exorcism in 1614. And this is what a lot of people think of when they think of exorcisms, like in popular culture today, like in the exorcist. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what's being referenced, the, the Roman Catholic Rite of Exorcism. And this was not just a way for removing demons, because that's what you do when you exorcise a demon, right? You just cast it out. Uh, this was not just a way to do that, like the actual order of steps and things you say, but a way to diagnose it. And it, what's interesting to me is they specifically mention that if the patient seems to be demonstrating melancholy, which would have been just a term for 
kind of any kind of mental illness of the time mm-hmm. before we knew how to diagnose mental illness. But if you think it's that, don't do an exorcism. Send them to a doctor. Mm. So that that was said even back in the 1600s. Right. That this I don't is, know that being said, of course, it's the 1600s, so the doctor is not going to be much more used, <laughs> perhaps even worse than a priest. Go to the doctor so that he can bleed you. Bleed you and, Give yeah. you something that will make you puke. Goat dookie. <laughs> Whatever. Perhaps slap a poultice on you. Definitely not help you, tie but... A, tie a chicken to your arm. Tie a chicken to your arm and let it die, and then you'll... I don't know. Lance the boobos. Go back to the priest because you'd prefer the exorcism at this right. point. Uh, but what are some of the other reasons that people may have displayed symptoms that were confused with this idea of possession? Some we've talked about. One obvious example is epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Somebody moving without control of their body, you know, who doesn't remember the episode, who can't tell you why they did or what they did outside of the context of a neurological disorder could look very much like they were being controlled by an outside force. Mm. And since nobody wants to have a seizure, you would assume it was a an evil force, right? Right. So epilepsy was often confused. You can see where like Tourette's would have been interpreted that way. Sure. Um, someone just saying things out of nowhere that they don't mean to say and they can't control. Again, it's a lack of control mm. is a big thing because if the person is not in control, the concept that your brain could control you in a sense mm-hmm. which i mean it always does it's like part of you it's a weird thing to tease out but the idea of mental illness that it's not something that you can just talk away or will away that concept would not have been well understood obviously right sure. so um so anything in the psychiatric realm is certainly going to be confused with possession mm-hmm. uh so dissociative disorders or what used to be called multiple personality disorders you know if so, and, and people would say i am possessed there is a demon in me um and the reason they would say that and, th- and that would often be taken at at face value but and you think like well why would somebody say that well because you hear voices or you see things that you know right. aren't actually physically present and whatever you have a cultural sort of structure around, that is going to be the way it manifests for you. Precisely. So whether that's the voice of God or the voice of the devil, it kind of just depends on what they're saying in your head, right? And so if you have persecutory hallucinations, ones that tell you you're bad or tell you to hurt people, you may believe sure. that you're possessed. And you tell people that and they, they take you at face value. So anybody with psychosis or schizophrenia, um, especially you know people who have these kinds of... Um, mental illness sometimes can neglect personal hygiene Mm. and that kind of thing. And that would have made someone seem other seem removed from what you expect human behavior to be like. And you wouldn't understand why Um, mania again, because it can manifest psychotic symptoms and, uh, and sleep paralysis would all have been things that may have easily been confused. And if you look at these symptoms of quote unquote possession, you can see where a lot of these things overlap. I mean, I have, I have spoken personally with patients who have psychotic disorders uh, that, that have these, you know, that believe they're talking to demons or angels. Mm-hmm. Now they don't necessarily tell me they're possessed, but you could see where you might think that. Yeah. Um, one that we referenced the patient on the, in, that the movie, the exorcism of Emily Rose mm-hmm. was, was based on yeah. uh, a very fictionalized version by the way, um, Annalise Michelle actually had been diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. Uh, and she probably, there were doctors who said she also did likely have schizophrenia. 
Um, so some combination of this neurological disorder and psychiatric illness. But even with that, her family still <laughs> was wanting it to be something else. Well, they had it was already they were very devout people. And so they already had this religious grounding. Uh, she began to believe that she was possessed by a demon because she couldn't control herself. And the medications that she was being placed on weren't working right away. And so instead of trying new medicines or assuming it was just the wrong medicine or dose or whatever, um, they pursued exorcism. Uh, she was exercised 67 times over the course of nine months and eventually uh, fatally, you know, perished from these exorcisms from well not from the exorcism but from malnutrition she she refused to eat towards the end refused to eat or drink anything and uh her it's actually if if you see the movie what happens is a little different than what the actual case was uh the the parents and the priest who were involved were put on trial for this for murdering her essentially for negligent homicide um and that they were asking for a fairly light sentence for the priest. And then I think essentially there's like a it was actually in Germany. There's like a clause in German law that says if the parents have suffered enough, you don't send them to jail anymore. Right. Like basically you've what what has happened to you is already the worst thing that ever could happen. So you're guilty, but we're done. They actually sent them all to jail. Wow. Really? Yeah. More than that was being asked for because they felt they were so complicit mm -hmm. in what happened to her. Um, there were other similar cases that we could describe today. In 1638, there was a woman, Dorothy Talby, who almost certainly had postpartum psychosis based on modern interpretations of what happened, but um, nobody would have diagnosed that at the time. Uh, there was a case earlier in the 1900s, actually, where a, a Romanian nun was taken to a hospital. She was at the convent. She began to have psychotic symptoms. They took her to the hospital. They diagnosed her with schizophrenia. But the other nuns and the priests said, no, we think this is a religious thing and brought her back and exercised her. Instead, she actually also perished uh, secondary to these Ugh. to the largely malnutrition again, just because they were yeah, not feeding her because she was psychotic and she believed possessed and they believed possessed and so on and so forth. So um, these tragic stories underline how missing that and, and missing these diagnoses, even when we know they're there how terribly that can go yeah so i so. want to tell you about some more all this seems very ancient right yes. all this seems like it probably died out forever ago well there was this big resurgence of exorcisms in the 60s and 70s and this renewed interest and i want to talk about why that happened but before we do that let's go to the billing department let's go the medicines the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that... no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to... Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette the palette of a web design artist but you don't have to be a web design artist you could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel the metaphor is broken down basically you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. 
You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com sawbones 50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 to get 50% off. So, Sydney, you were about to uh, delight us all with the resurgence, the revenge of exorcisms. So it's yes, it's really strange to me that you look at this period in the in the 60s and 70s where all of a sudden um, I mean, along with like films and things and books and all that, people started doing exorcisms again. And um, part of that is that it kind of expanded beyond the Catholic Church and like a lot of other Christian denominations. In, in addition to other faiths still are performing exorcisms, but just this particular resurgence, mm-hmm. other Christian faiths began performing exorcisms, not using the necessarily the Roman Catholic rite, just their own version. They're still getting a lot of heat. They got to get in on that. They got to get a little of that publicity. Well, it's it's easy to follow that if you think that God, if you believe in God as a force of good that can manifest itself in humans, then you believe in the devil maybe as a force of evil that can manifest itself in humans. It's easy to see where lead you down that road if you are a religious-minded person. You could also see why a religion, an organized religion, would want to pounce on what could very well appear to be a supernatural occurrence sure in a time where we those are not obviously common place yes. as they were apparently a few thousand years ago but like why since this is a sort of supernatural occurrence you cannot disprove mm-hmm. uh through traditional means then maybe that uh that would be something that they'd want to hop on and, and what's strange to me is that concurrently with um, spiritual leaders re-examining exorcism and possession, 
you see this interest in medical professionals. So one I want to focus on is M. Scott Peck. He was an American psychiatrist who practiced in the mid to late 1900s. And he believed in possession in addition to psychiatric illness. So smart guy, educated at Harvard, went to med school at Case Western, practiced psychiatry. Uh, but his own kind of journey in faith led him to become very devout and he began to question whether or not our dismissal of possession mm -hmm. wasn't a mistake. And that while most of his patients certainly had psychiatric diagnoses, some of them might actually be influenced by demons. And we are not going to ever be able to take care of them until we acknowledge it. He, he used the example of a, a fellow psychiatrist who was telling him that one of his patients who at the time had what they called multiple personality disorder had like 46 different personalities. And he said he believed that that was impossible mm -hmm. and that this was probably a demonic possession, maybe Judas, because he was a trickster demon. And so, sure. so like there are things like this that seem unlikely. He began to blame on demons. And his mentor, who was a Jesuit priest, Father Malachi Martin. It's a very good name. It's a good name, but he's a controversial guy. Dang it. I got to stop complimenting people on their names before I know anything about them. I always get the raw end of that deal. It's, so Malachi Martin was largely disliked by the Catholic Church because he he believed very strongly in possession and performing exorcisms. And he began to suspect that perhaps the hierarchy of the Catholic Church were all under the influence of demons themselves. I, I can't imagine he was an unpopular... <laughs> Dude, although, you know, said sometimes I think my bosses are possessed by demons. <laughs> DJF. Waka waka. DJF. That's your, well, that's your, you're your own boss. DGIF. <laughs> so, uh, based on his work with, with Father Malachi Martin and his own um, experiences in faith, he began to believe that some people are evil. Evil. Just evil Just evil. People. And that if some people are evil, there has to, you know, and some people are good. Good people, he believed, derive that goodness from their faith and their following the teachings of God. Bad people must be influenced by something else, too. Right. Um, the devil, demons, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he believed that once you were completely taken over by a demon and you were just an evil person, then you're probably something more like someone with antisocial personality disorder, essentially just devoid of conscience. Right. Yeah. But possessed people were like vulnerable. They were still struggling. Possessed people were still fighting for their souls. So uh, he believed that possession was a place where he could intervene. Then mm -hmm. um, this this had to do with his. It's important you understand. He believed there were four stages of possession. OK. First is temptation where like you just want to do bad things, but you're not. Second. But you're thinking about it. But you're thinking about it. <clears throat> Second is demonic attack when the demon is trying to get inside you and so like you're hearing voices or seeing things or whatever like sp spooky stuff's happening but it's not inside you yet right uh third is oppression when the demon the way he described it is the demon has taken control of the suburbs but like the city <laughs> center is still intact okay. and then the final stage is possession when the demon is pretty much in control but there's still pockets of resistance that are trying to fight back so like buffy season three the demon's the mayor. <laughs> the demon's the mayor. Right. But Buffy's still there. Right. If if the demon was the if the demon was the mayor and Buffy was wiped out, then you're just evil. And so then it then the battle is lost and there is no point in trying to like help that person in a sense. Okay. 
Um, but so he asked Malachi Martin for a couple cases of people who were possessed because he wanted to try to exercise them and record it. And then eventually he went on to write a book about it. Um, the two cases were two women, Jersey and Becca, both, I mean, exhibiting clear signs of mental illness. Um, both had kind of, uh, tragic stories of abuse. Jersey was a young wife and mother. She had a history of abuse when she was younger. And, um, basically she just had lost interest in the roles she was playing in her life. She had no interest in being a mom, no interest in being a wife, just no interest in anything. She believed that she was under the possession of some sort of demonic spirit, some sort of evil force that prevented her from being happy and being who she was Mm -hmm. um, and being a good mom. And so she went to a priest. The priest actually referred her to Peck, who remember is a psychiatrist, a doctor, uh, and he got together a team of clergy and mental health professionals and did an exorcism. Okay. Uh, which is a strange try. Like she went to the priest, he sent her to a doctor, and then she got an exorcism. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. The priest, did you hear it? Yeah, he's right. It yeah. is, uh, uh, I, in my op- opinion, you got the devil. It's, it's, it's good to remember to stay in your lane, guys. Uh, so they began an exorcism. The The process of the exorcism, and you can read excerpts from this. You can buy his books if you're really interested in this, like it, just from a sociological perspective, what did this guy do? Uh, the exorcisms are interesting because a lot of it is like psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, they would start with praying and everything, just like a, a religious and, exorcism and would. And this is all re- religious people? Are, are they no, religious? there are doctors there too and social workers. And then there's also just some random people sometimes. Like one, there's just like a, a guy. So there's, there's Rabbi Witcher and then there's Dr. Phillips and I'm Doug and I'm here... <laughs> I, honestly, I'm here f- to have somebody to, for the demon to leap into after they leap out of that person. <laughs> that is why I'm here. I'm uh, part of it. <laughs> I'm part of it. I, money's tight, and I can't donate plasma again, so I'm basically here to this let guy, the demon jump in. This guy in. offered me 20 bucks. To let the demon jump in. So, so for like 30 to 40 hours total uh, over the course of three or four days, they, he did these exorcisms on these two different women. Um, and they would take breaks, by the way. And I thought it was really interesting. Like the possessed people would take breaks, too, and like have coffee and joke for a few minutes and be like, OK, got to get back to the uh, uh, here he comes again. Demonic pos- well, and it really was like that. Like then he, they would start talking and he'd go, OK, I want to talk to a demon now. And then they would manifest one of their demons. Mm. Um so the and then he would talk to, like kind of talk him out like listen this demon is lying let me talk to him for a while and I'll tell you why they're lying and uh, anyway through this Jersey was freed of her demons Becca the other patient who had a history of an abusive husband and depression and um, some addiction issues uh, she while she felt the possession ended. By the end of the exorcism, mm-hmm. she stayed under what Peck called demonic attack. So ah. she still continued to hear voices and such, mm-hmm. even though she felt like the majority of her symptoms had eased. Um, they did do some of the like restraining and things like tying them to the bed and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was largely just talking. Uh, he, he declared this a success and published his book and began to urge psychiatrists that we need to include demonic possession as a psychiatric diagnosis. No, thank you. I think that that's a very bad precedent. And I would like to say thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, please. And what's what's really strange. Unless we're going to put the Mondays in the DSM, (laughs) I'd rather not. Well, and that's that was what was really strange to me is that I, I saw this and I thought, well, I mean, 
this is kind of like that new age time. Like a lot of people suggested a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Like, you know, I, we can move past that. But what was strange to me is that I found psychiatrists, not many. This is not the view of psychiatrists or the American Psychiatric Association as a whole by any stretch. But there are practicing doctors who believe that there is mental illness and there is possession and sometimes there's both. And that you cannot cure these patients without performing an exorcism. And they are still doing that. Doctors who are helping perform exorcisms with the appropriate religious officials in the U.S. today. Wow. Uh, for people who, I mean, let's, let's they probably have psychiatric illness that's just as very difficult to control and has manifested itself in some like religiously fixated symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, I saw another argument that was pretty persuasive that you could use some of the tools of an exorcism to help a patient who felt they were possessed. That they did, and this was not an argument that they might be possessed. It was they're clearly not possessed. They have psychiatric illness, but there are tools within the process of an exorcism that You're basically help you working to like, within the framework of the delusion. Exactly. To to uh, instead of trying to integrate that into your personality to cast out the part that is so damaging to you. Mm. So like they they provided like a framework for that, which I found compelling from a psychiatric perspective, but still isn't like the accepted theory on what to do. Um, with delusions and I mean you're supposed to always refute delusions like there is not there is no I, I would say accepted method for joining your patient in their delusion so do you Dr. McElroy as a uh, uh, someone who grew up in the Catholic Church and is now a physician do you where, where do you stand on, the, on all this well I researching this episode I certainly got creeped out, as I said. And so I can see... It's creepy when science people, real science people, start to lend credence to stuff like yes, that. It creeps I, you out. That is what, that's what shocked me the most was... Because I, I, all of it, I was just doing my usual stuff like, I can't believe people used to believe this. This is wild. And then I got to the point where modern physicians are buying into this now and using it as part of their medical practice. And that... I found very disturbing mm -hmm. um, because it's important that we recognize that psychiatric illness is a medical condition and not um, and certainly not a manifestation of evil. Uh, that label being applied to patients with illness we didn't understand, whether psychiatric or neurological or otherwise, throughout the centuries has been damaging, has been um, stigmatizing has resulted in deaths, as we've discussed, has resulted in the complete marginalization of people. And at the end of the day, doesn't help you. Um, if you if I, I certainly see a role for I, I know I have patients who receive therapy from um, uh, psychologists or social workers or, or therapists or counselors who share their faith background and they discuss that in their mm -hmm. therapy. And so I, I can see where for some people that can be very effective and healing. But beyond that, it has no role in medicine um, because it's not it's not a thing. These people are ill and they need help through m medical methods, mm. um, not things that you can provide in any sort of religious institution. 
Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening to the episode this week. Uh, we have a book out, uh, bit.ly forward slash the Sawbones book. You could buy it on Amazon. If you would leave us a review on Amazon, if you liked it, that would uh, sure mean a lot to us. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, thanks to you for listening. We sure appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that is going to do it for us uh, this for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.